The Athletic. Totally Football Show today. Tuchel and Conte shake hands and agree to steal all the headlines during this international break. What next for Nagelsmann? Is it Spurs? Plus, we talk Euro qualifiers from Kane to Kazakhstan. Coming up, Scotland versus Spain and Ireland against France. Can the greatest attacking talent of his generation be stopped? Or is Evan Ferguson simply unplayable? It's the Totally Football Show. Yeah, Kelly Summers here with you again, back with another Totally, while James is still sunning himself. This time, though, we're at the Athletics' rather fancy new studios. Not been here before. I'm very impressed. I'm joined in the studio by Tom Williams, Tim Spears, and via Zoom on the huge screen, Daniel Story. Now, Daniel, I think you might have been on my flight going out to Naples. You were out there watching England, watching Harry Kane become England's all-time record scorer. It's been a good few days, hasn't it, for Gareth Southgate's side? Yeah, it's been a kind of classic England qualifying few days in that they've breezed through one game, they've made hard work of it in another, and yet end up in a miles better position than we dared to dream they might be after two games. And yet people are still going, oh, it's boring, it's boring, it's boring. He's not playing enough players, he's playing players out of position. Yeah, welcome to the England bandwagon. Someone still tweeted me last night saying Southgate out. I was like... Mm. What more could they have done over the last couple of games? <laughs> anyway, apparently still not enough to satisfy some people. Tim, been a busy few weeks, days for you. You've been to Stockholm to watch Zlatan make history. We thought he was going to become the oldest player ever in a Euro qualifier, but alas, he's actually not. Yes, some uh, <laughs> some guy plays for Gibraltar. Obviously, yeah. I should have gone there instead. Uh, Just trying of... to get yourself on a little uh, jet <laughs> yeah, set exactly. tour with the Athletic, are you? Yeah, exactly. They probably don't charge 15 quid for a coffee in Gibraltar either. So. Wowzers. Uh, but no, no, Stockholm's a great city. I've never been to Sweden before. Neither have I, actually. Um, it's so friendly and so sort of picturesque and clean and beautiful. Yeah, It's, it's in my top 10... Cities, I think, already. Just, wow, just, straight just, in. Just, just New below, entry. This just, podcast just, is yeah, yeah. top 10 just below Wolverhampton. We're veering uh, off, aren't we? <laughs> I was going to say low bar. Shall I say that? No, I won't say that. Going to offend all the people in Wolverhampton. And of course, it's timely you're in as well, given the news coming out of Spurs. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Tom, a good week for Wales as well. Yeah, I mean, I and I think most Wales fans would have snapped uh, the proverbial hand off anyone offering us a scratchy draw against Croatia (laughs) in what was always going to be the most difficult game of the qualifying campaign. And lo and behold, we got played off the park for the entire game and then score a 93rd minute equaliser by a debutant from a long throw. And yeah, celebrated it like a winner, like a winner in like the World Cup final or something. It was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, an unexpected but very pleasant end to the game. They're the best ones, aren't they? The unexpected endings. Even better when they're undeserved. There's nothing. There's nothing. I mean, more Real so, more so when it's against a big rival. There's nothing better than an undeserved goal against the, against a rival. But yeah, in the circumstances, a, a tremendous point. Good. Well, we've got a very happy uh, panel, I think, today. Then, and since our last podcast, as I alluded to, then there have been some monumental managerial movements, and that's where we're going to start. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. There are 10 games to go and uh, something, something thinks uh, that we can fight. We can fight for what? With this spirit, with this attitude, with this commitment. For what? For the seventh, eighth place, ninth place? I'm not used to this position. I'm really upset. It's happened at last. We've been speculating for the past nine days. We've had two podcasts since then wondering when Antonio Conte's post-match press conference at St Mary's was going to lead to his departure as Tottenham manager. It came on Sunday night. I think producer Charlie wanted to tear his hair out. He was ready for bed, as I'm sure many other news writers across the country were. But Tim, it's timely, as I said, having you in the studio it was inevitable, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's been inevitable for a while, really. Though he's going to leave Spurs, it was just it was just a matter of when. I've sort of thought since Christmas, really, that... that as I mean, long as that? Well, the results really started to turn around then. And, you know, he, he was forever speaking of how Spurs is like a long-term project that needs uh, young players to, to be given time to grow and develop. Yeah. And yet there was never any suggestion that he was going to extend his contract beyond the end of the season. 
So, you know, he, he cut a frustrated figure. Um, it's been a very difficult few months for him as well. Um, although it, it didn't felt that the rant at Southampton was sort of a knock-on effect of that because this is just what Conte does at every club he's at, basically. Um, so yeah, it was it was always a, it was always an, an imperfect fit in in my mind. You know, with with a club looking to the long term, average age of signings is twenty three years old. You know, they, they need time to nurture and grow. They don't need someone screaming and shouting at them and and, and not putting their arm around their shoulder and not really telling them what and they're not in the team and being quite aloof and you know that's that's just Conte's style really. So it's just it's it's a strange situation. I mean, I actually stopped covering Spurs last week. Um, I, I had a nice quite dull six months covering Charlie Eccleshare's paternity <laughs> and then he he's come back last week uh, to arrive to this. But I, I don't know the the post Southampton sort of fallout. It's been interesting that everybody's been so focused on, well, he has to go now just because of what he said in the press conference. Because when you look at it, results have actually been pretty good. They've got like 16 points from eight games and they're in fourth position. And I guess Levy's sort of conundrum has been, you know, obviously Champions League football is so important to him and the club, less so to the fans, in my opinion. Can Conte guide them to fourth? And I think he's judged that Stellini did a pretty good job in his absence. And... um, with sort of consistency in selection and certain players playing well, that you know they can reach fourth without Conte has obviously been his conclusion. One thing I wanted to ask you: you've spent a lot of time around the club. How was he viewed by the players? Because when a manager leaves a club, you hear all of these rumours, don't you? Oh, he wasn't liked by the players anyway. The players are going to be happy. He's gone. The players actually preferred Stellini. What was the feeling you got from the players' perspective? Um, I think some of them, some of them definitely liked him and, and loved playing for him. But in general, you know, from things that I heard. Training was definitely quite repetitive. Um, I think particularly around the World Cup when there were when there were quite a few players coming back, they were doing a lot of running, just running, running, running. And a lot of the players were like, "Why, why the hell are we, are we doing this?" <laughs> um, it was sort of like a pre-season, you know, in December. Um, and yeah, I think for certain players who who know their games inside out and know know themselves, they don't need the arm around the shoulder or the the explanation as to why they're not in the team or, or whatever. You know, players like Harry Kane and 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 maybe Son to an extent, and Eric Dyer, they can look after themselves, Hugo Lloris. But I suppose I've got a lot of young players who need direction, and from what I'm told, that didn't really come from him. And you know, he's 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 quite a moody figure, and um, yeah, like I said, he's he's had a very difficult few months personally, which which we really shouldn't forget in all this. You know, he lost three close friends and. And had uh, gallbladder surgery as well, which which you know is not an easy thing to recover from when you when you when you're as passionate and fiery and sort of hundred percent all in as him. So yeah, um, some of the results were desperately poor. You've got to say that. And even when they were winning games, it was not fun. It was not entertaining. It was unimaginative and sort of very predictable. When when I started covering Spurs, I was really looking forward to seeing this you know, world-class manager at work. And after after a few months, I was sort of like, there were so many problems with this team and he's just doing the same thing every single week. Um, particularly in terms of formation, I, I find it astounding that he would just play 3-4-3 three, three every single week. And there were issues with certain players he just didn't play. You know, Jed Spence and Arnat Danjuma were both signed for Spurs this season and he had no intention of playing either of those players because he didn't want them. He made a comment, didn't he, about Danjuma where he said something like, the club signed him. Yeah, yeah, and he did the same with Jed Spence last yeah. summer. And Jed Spence, as Daniel will know very well, had, a, had an incredible season for Nottingham Forest last season and has something to offer, albeit he's a young player. Danjuma scored a lot of important goals in the Champions League for Villarreal last season and he, he's just had no intention of playing him, which is, is, is a crazy scenario. Then you've got the, the Sheffield United Cup defeat and... The AC Milan Champions League tie, I mean, I went to both legs of that tie and I could not believe that I was watching a Champions League last 16 game. It was my first one. I was like, are they all like this? Because it was... It was <laughs> underwhelming. It was so underwhelming. There was just, there was no passion from Spurs. There was no, there was no desire to, to, to attack. It seemed like there was no desire to win the game. And it, in terms of how the players have been with Conte, the thing that was really stark for me was their best performance and result of the season came against Manchester City when Conte was at home recovering from surgery and he was very much not involved in that game. He was he was in bed and, you know, he just had surgery and he, he just he wasn't involved. And Spurs played brilliantly and Christian Stellini and Ryan Mason introduced a really important tactical change during the game where Eric Dyer went to man mark Bernardo Silva, who was who was just running the game in the first twenty minutes. They pushed Eric Dyer up and that, that was a key reason why they won the game. Very impressive. A week later, Conte rushes back against all medical advice to uh, go at Leicester City away. Daniel was there. 
And um, lo and behold, Spurs produced their worst performance of the season a week after their best. And Conte was there. He could barely stand. Um, he looked really, he looked awful. And I, I don't know, at the time, you, you kind of say, well, is that coincidence? But looking back, you say no, really, I think, because the players clearly weren't playing for him, hadn't bought into his ideas. And ultimately, that was um, that was the most important factor in deciding to let him go now. Christian Cellini, of course, was in the dugout that day and was there when Conte wasn't able to be with Spurs. He's going to stay until the end of the season. He's going to be assisted by Ryan Mason. Were you surprised to see that he was going to be the replacement because he was very much Conte's man previously? It's very unusual for a coach to be sacked by a club um, and for his assistant to then be promoted (laughs) um, in his stead, um, particularly as I suspect that Stellini's approach probably won't stray all that far from Conte's. Um, I think it's probably an acknowledgement of the fact that given where we are in the season with only, you know, uh, a couple of months of the campaign remaining, the chances of getting in the next long-term coach uh, and, and getting the appointment right in that very short time frame are probably quite slim. So you go for the the continuity candidate, I suppose, with you know Ryan Mason, who of course has, has stepped into the breach uh, when Spurs have sacked an unpopular manager in in the not too distant past. Um, so yeah, I, it, it's surprising to to see an assistant promoted after his boss has been sacked. But as, as Tim was saying, the fact that he's already had a or seem, appeared to have had a positive impact on Spurs' results and performances, that, that probably worked in his favour. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's probably as much to do with the timing of things as anything else. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, Daniel Wynne, if he has got managerial ambitions. Often when you see bosses given the opportunity for such a short spell, we say, oh, this is their audition, isn't it, to get it on a permanent basis. Is that realistic at Spurs or are they going to be looking to who's going to be available in the summer? Yeah, I think they're going to be looking at who's available in the summer, either in terms of, of, of Nagelsmann or in terms of you know much-vaunted Pochettino return. Although this isn't a clean break from Conte and his people, it sounds like there's a, an understanding whereby Conte's outburst against Southampton made that position untenable. Uh, I thought Daniel Levy's statement in which he, he, he barely mentions Conte by name. He just sort of says, we've got 10 games left. We've got to get in the Champions League. That's what we're going to try and do. We need everyone. I think he used the phrase like everyone needs to pull together, which felt like a pretty obvious dig at, at Conte's um, kind of self-implosion of the club. So, yeah, I think it's a kind of business as usual, but without the guy that's slagging everyone off. I think it probably is almost <laughs> as simple as that. Uh, and then, yeah, I think in the summer... Um, Spurs are going to go for a manager who I hope this time that, you know, Tim mentioned earlier, but like fits that ideal of long-termism. I don't know if that's Pochettino because there are inevitable reflections of the past in that, but then maybe that feels like an itch they need to scratch. I don't I don't know. It depends which Spurs fans you speak to, I think, because there's a lot of them that are crying out for Pochettino. But as Daniel said, then it is looking backwards rather than forwards. So you can't deny the impact he had. Pochettino is the only Spurs manager with a better points per game ratio than Conte in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't think they'll go back. I think. Um, well, know. would he go back as well? That's the other question. Th- Do you think he would? I think I think he's, he's he seems to be angling for a, for a Premier League job, and there, there won't be there won't be many big six jobs that come up in the near future. Um, and he he's not going to stay out of work for too long. Um, the, the the Stellini thing is interesting because one thing he he said which really resonated with me was before the Chelsea game he was asked about Graham Potter, and he spoke about how much he admired Graham Potter and had studied him last season, and in particular he liked how he would change tactics during games and before <laughs> games and change formation all the time. And I was like, right, you clearly didn't have that chat with Conte, or Conte clearly didn't agree with you on that front. Um, so I'm sure he will introduce some different ideas, but ultimately it's not about him. I'm sure he won't get the job in the summer. Um, and yeah, it's it's a massive appointment. Um, I mean, Spurs' last three appointments have all have all failed. I think it was James Horncastle who said last week. You know, they haven't really moved on from Pochettino or got over him yet. And yeah, they've for a club which whose fans sort of pride themselves on having a stylish attacking team. He's hired three, I would say, back foot managers, pragmatic managers. Is that you in upsetting a row. Nuno there? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, in 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 Nuno, Mourinho, and, and Conte. I think I think that you know. You could label them all as sort of pragmatic and and back foot. It doesn't mean they can't be attacking, but certainly it's, it's it's that approach first and foremost. I think Spurs fans want front foot football, and you know the the, the age of the next manager doesn't necessarily matter, but it's got to be someone fresh with an exciting attack minded philosophy. I think that's what that's what the the club's fans want. 
Um, and yeah, they're such a confusing club, you know, um, off the field, they do everything brilliantly. The, the stadium's astonishing, as we all know. The training ground, the NFL, the Beyonce, Lady Gaga, um, the F1 now as well. But ultimately, if I if I was a fan paying a thousand pounds for a season ticket, which most of them are, I, I wouldn't care about any of that, to be honest. One other thing to mention is that there are two other important people at play here. Fabio Paratici, the director of football, who ultimately will play a key part in this decision, um, today starts a, a, a court case in Italy. You know, with with, with several other uh, former colleagues from Juventus into alleged financial ir- irregularities. That that's got to play, you know, have a massive bearing on what what happens to him and Spurs in the next few months. If he's if he's the man ultimately making that decision, that seems absurd to me. And and you know, there were suggestions recently that he would he's banned from Italian football for two years, but he could potentially be banned from from European football, depending on on, on what you weigh from FIFA do at the end of all this, which which is a, which is a mess. And then the other, the other one is Harry Kane as well, who's out of contract uh, next summer, twenty twenty four, and. Having watched Spurs for six months, I, c- I can say, and it's backed up by statistics, that without him, they would probably be in mid-table this season. You know, he he creates and he scores and he is the talisman and captain at the moment. And and he's everything to them. And, and I'm sure him and Levy have a functional working relationship. And you'd imagine that his opinion may have some sway in the summer. So I was listening to a podcast that was recorded post-match last night on the way in here and I really felt for Harry Kane because at the end the reporter said to him and now of course back to Spurs and he said yeah it's been quite eventful and I thought obviously that was way before Conte was sacked and I was like oh Harry it's about to get more eventful you don't quite know what's coming next. <laughs> but I think I think the important thing for Spurs is appointing a coach who puts smiles on people's faces which is something you hear about a lot in sport and it's often a cliche but you know, you look at the three managerial appointments that they've made. Conte and Mourinho was were supposed to be, you know, they're going to ruffle feathers and people won't like what they have to say, but they'll bring success. And they ruffled feathers and people didn't like what they had to say. And they, didn't and they brought success. no success. <laughs> and Nuno kind of did a bit of Nuno wing in the middle and we all forgot that he was even there. I well, think I think for all... With, with apologies, can't say that in <laughs> with, with apologies. But I think with, with all those factors, particularly the Harry Kane factor, if Spurs fans can find themselves in a position next season of going to the stadium and looking forward to, to what they're going to see that will feel like a real step change it's been it's honestly it's been awful mm. even the even the journalists think of the journalists someone you know oh, I've, I've, exactly I've, what I was I've left about. part of my soul someone think of a poor journalist <laughs> I've left part of my soul in, in that job. It was just it was awful if, if, if you know they weren't even bothered about the AC Milan game that's how much they've been ground down by not just the last six months but the last few years like yeah they they, they want and deserve more I do think it's a, a really bad job to take in the summer, <laughs> I have to say. like You've got Harry Kane, who we don't know what his future is, but whatever happens, it's going to be a story all summer. You've got Hyungmin's son, who seems to have either tailed off or just isn't feeling it, but he's he turns 31 in the summer. You need probably two new goalkeepers, because Lloris is 36 and Fraser Force is 35. Like the big signings are Tange and Dombele, uh, you know, Davis and Sanchez. These £40 million signings that just haven't worked. They've got nine players out on loan, including some of those expensive signings. It's not a squad in which there's very obvious fits quickly for this to get better. And it's had £250 million spent on it by Conte or under Conte's reign. And I don't think that's sustainable either in terms of the finances. So, like, it's not a great job to take, I don't think. And... So, so in that case, it kind of needs to be a an up and coming manager who'll kind of grow with it, I think. And yet, that in itself is a risk because if it doesn't work, then you quickly slump down to sixth, seventh position in the league. But it'll be fun to watch, and the stadium's and really nice what, as well. That's what Spurs. And I'm are going for. to see Beyonce there in the summer. <laughs> oh, there so. you go. There'll be smiles on faces at least once yeah. at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this year. And on that positive note is exactly where we'll leave that Spurs chat. As we've mentioned, Bayern Munich shocked the football world on Thursday night by replacing Julian Nagelsmann with Thomas Tuchel. Time then to dial up Raphael Honigstein. Okay, well, Raph, for anyone that hasn't read your article in The Athletic yet, just tell us why did Bayern choose to act now? Hmm, how much time have you got? Um, 1,700 words in five minutes? (laughs) I'm going to try. Um... I think the main reasons that they were afraid that the next week or 10 days or so, which which comes with huge games for Bayern, they've got Dortmund at home, having lost the league lead to them, then Freiburg in the cup, and then, of course, the first leg of the game against Manchester City in the quarterfinal of the Champions League. 
They were afraid that the instability and the inconsistency that we've seen, not just this season, but also last season, in fairness, on the Nagelsmann, might make for a situation where the season is effectively over in mid-April. And in Thomas Tuchel, there was somebody available who they have long coveted, who they long have thought is the second best German-speaking coach after Jurgen Klopp. And they felt that their chances, certainly in the short run, would be better served by having somebody like Tuchel in position. And that's why they, they pulled the trigger and pushed the red button. I think without Thomas Tuchel being available to come in now, Julian Nagelsmann would still be there, even though Bayern would probably feel uncomfortable and would be worried, as they have been throughout the season. But the fact that Thomas Tuchel was available made them comfortable enough to, to make this change now. Yeah, do you think 2018 was still in their minds? Because, of course, they missed out on him when he went to PSG as well. It was definitely on their minds. Uh, at the time, Jupankis was was in charge again. And Bayern, or at least some people on the Bayern board, were trying to persuade Hankis to stay another year. And in the meantime, after some very productive negotiations with Thomas Tuchel, because they couldn't get back to him in time, he signed for PSG. And that led to a real scramble that ended up with Niko Kovac being on the Bayern bench. And even though he was successful, it wasn't enough for Bayern to be happy and he was fired in the second season. So that shows you how much timing, I think, was key in this decision. Uh, Timing on behalf of Tuchel being available, but perhaps not much longer. Timing in the sense that Tuchel is available now and can take over at a crucial time of the of the season, which will define the season for Bayern the next 10 days or so. And also not the willingness, which perhaps is hard to appreciate for people looking from the outside in who say, how crazy do you have to be to fire a manager who's just won eight games in the Champions League, who's second in the table after winning the championship? Why not give him the chance? Well, the thing is with Bayern, they try to anticipate problems before they happen and they're so ruthless they will fire you before you get a chance to fail they will not even contemplate the chance <laughs> of you failing it's like a minority report of football you club. failed exactly i made that point exactly you get punished for the crime that you haven't committed yet and that is you might say quite a crazy way to run a football club but it also is incredibly successful way of running it because you don't have those years where you just say, okay, you know, Caloncelotti, yeah, you know, we know you're not too bothered about the league. You can, don't worry. It's fine if you don't win it next year. No, get sacked immediately, having won the double in his first year. So that, that's, that's how Bayern work. And they hope that Thomas Tuchel can bring some short-term success, which will then turn into long-term success. But the short-term is always the long-term strategy at Bayern. Nagelsmann might regret his choice of timing for holiday because now he's got loads of time to holiday. He's just been skiing in Austria during this international break. Or maybe he'll be grateful for the holiday because there's a vacancy at Spurs, isn't there? What do you think's next for him? Could we see him there? I think it's a possibility. I think Julian Nagelsmann, like all big German coaches, is fascinated by the idea of, of coaching in England. I think it is at the back of his mind and has been for a long time. He had some early contact from Real Madrid a few years ago when he was still at um, at Leipzig and was very happy to talk about this openly. I think he will be like Tuchel, who got fired from the Dortmund job and then went to PSG. I think he will be in demand and will get a top job. And it's really a question of how does he see himself? Does he want to go to England now where perhaps he could benefit, in my view, from another job somewhere else to grow a bit in stature. In England, there is even more of an expectation that you are the representative of the club, the face. You are the only one talking. And I think that comes with its own pressures and its own pitfalls. And at Bayern, he sometimes fell into those pitfalls, talking too much or saying the wrong things. And in that sense, I think he might be better served at a slightly more quieter and perhaps a more structured environment where there are people next to him, above him, that also have responsibilities rather than everything down to to being him. But at the same time, these kind of guys, they're impatient, they want to win, they want to coach, 
And if a club like Spurs come along and say, look, um, here's a lot of money. Here's coaching in one of the best stadiums in the Premier League. Here's coaching Harry Kane and Son, and you can maybe get another couple of players in. Then I think you would seriously consider it. Well, there's a few interesting subplots that could develop in the remaining months of the season, isn't there? Bayern are a point behind Tuchel's old club, Dortmund, in the Bundesliga. They meet in Munich on Saturday and it's going to be Tuchel versus Guardiola in the last eight of the Champions League. And potentially, Bayern could also face Chelsea in the Champions League semi-finals. Of course, Chelsea do have to get past Real Madrid as well. So, Rafa, get the feeling it's going to be a busy few months for you. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us on Totally. Thank you. Well, sticking with club football and the women's game this weekend, it was a quite remarkable weekend in the WSL and I was pretty gutted, to be honest, not to be working on it because aside from the Merseyside derby and the North London derby, we now have a proper title race. We have a top four separated by just three points. Manchester United lead the way, then it's Manchester City, followed by the champions Chelsea and Arsenal in fourth place. And the monumental result of the weekend, Daniel, was City winning 2-0 over Chelsea on Sunday. City now unbeaten in the WSL to 14 games. They were eight points behind Chelsea back in December. This is setting up to be a good finale to the season, isn't it? Yeah, it's mad because I kind of feel with City that Gareth Taylor, uh, the head coach, has sort of always been one bad result away from crisis and never quite kicked on in the way that City wanted him to. And yet, yeah, suddenly there they are, legitimately in the title race. And... Thoroughly deserved to beat Chelsea. Chelsea had a couple of chances early on, but I don't know if it was a kind of Champions League hangover, fatigue, whatever. But as soon as City scored the opening goal, which kind of came from a mistake from Chelsea playing out from the back, although it was a really good finish from Mangledal, City was just really arm's length you know, holding back Chelsea. And they didn't really have a response, which is unusual. I, I still think Chelsea are probably favourites. They are one of the ones with a game in hand, and if they win that, they go to... 40 points they also only play I think only play one of those other teams around them for the rest of the season which is Arsenal really late in the season which could by that point be a a kind of title shootout but yeah four-way title race in the WSL which is not something we've had ever really yeah, it's really good for the league as well. That's what I was thinking. It, the the longer this can go on, this title race, the better for everyone. And this is even more remarkable when we talk about City because City actually lost seven of their biggest names in the summer to a combination of Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich and, of course, players retiring. I was with Jill Scott yesterday and she was following this. And it was, I think they were 2-0 up after about 30 minutes, I think it was. Yeah, half an hour, yeah. And we were saying, oh, wow, if they can hold on. But can they hold on? Because it is Chelsea. We know what Chelsea can do. So the fact they did hold on for that long as well, even more remarkable. WSL back next weekend. And you can hear more about the title race and much, much more on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, which is also out on Monday. Up next, let's move on to the internationals and talk about just what happened at Wembley on Sunday evening. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners, and whether there'll be a red card, then use Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre built quick bet options. Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Tottenham fans, he's gone. So now what? Join me, Danny Kelly, Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore on the biggest Spurs podcast on the planet this week as we try to unpick Daniel Levy's brain and ponder where the club shall go next in the post-Antonio Conte era. Just search for The View from the Lane wherever you get your podcasts. It's going to be a cracker. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Henderson. Saka once more. Oh, that is absolutely fabulous. Bukayo Saka with a moment of real quality to make it 2 0 England. Okay, let's kick off this chat then with England. England again easing to victory. Well, I say again, they didn't exactly ease to victory against Italy, did they? But it was much more comfortable for them against Ukraine at Wembley on Sunday afternoon. Two goals in three minutes just before half time. It was a really emotional evening at Wembley. I was there because, of course, Ukraine, there was over 4,000 Ukrainians inside, including over a thousand of them invited by the FA. Andrei Shevchenko and Bear Grylls were also alongside me, pitch side. But the most important thing, Tim, and Gareth Southkept kept saying it to me in the build up, the most important thing was that England had to manage that emotion. They were very mindful of the situation that Ukraine are going through. But they had an important match to focus on, and that's exactly what they did. It was professional from England. Yeah, uh, you know that's the word I'd use as well. It was it was a pretty it was a pretty comfortable game, wasn't it? Second half, and yeah, the the the, the Kane and Saka show very much. Um, I mean, it's hard to believe some the ages of some of these players. You know, Saka twenty one, Bellingham nineteen. I was just watching Bellingham's interview afterwards. His his maturity is like ridiculous. Agent Stephen Gerrard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it was really good. Um, but he was—he doesn't talk in cliches, which is really refreshing. But you know, he was—I think he was saying he's—he's he's like a sponge at the moment with all the information he's—he's taken in and 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 wants to go to the next level and was very very specific about how he wants to improve his game. Um, and you get a sense that he'll do that. It's scary that he's nineteen. I was such a moron at his age. Like, I've got, maybe I still am, Kelly. You'd probably say, but um, <laughs> but yeah. silence in the studio. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And the uh, the Kane things just just ridiculous how, how he starts and finishes the the move for the first goal which which got England going settled the game down and it was it was never really in doubt after that really it's remarkable how much he contributes to that team and how I think un, underappreciated he is you know despite breaking the record and everything we've seen in the last few days I still see a lot of sniping at penalties and opposition I know and... it's remarkable I said before <laughs> about people still tweeting me Southgate out people were still when I posted about Harry Kane still saying I think it's 18 of those are penalties missed on the biggest stage Daniel, you've you witnessed the performance in Naples on Thursday. You watched yeah. England yesterday from home. There's there is a maturity, and as Tim said, then there are a number of players now stepping up to the fore. It is not just Harry Kane. You've got Jude Bellingham's. You've got Bukayo Saka. By the way, mm. what a goal yes. that was! Yes, love, love, love. Yeah, and and Saka and Bellingham are are important cases here because they're basically the last two England debutants to kind of stick around in the team. They're both at 20 caps now or more, I think. But they both made their debut in 2020. And since then, England have not really managed to make people stick around. They've had you know, they've had kind of debutants who you f- forget, like James Justin and Carl Walker-Peters. And some of them are, are, are starting to try. Conor Gallagher's back in the picture now. But what, what Southgate probably will want to do and why beating Italy and, and Ukraine were so important is that 
England are almost certainly qualified now. Top two go through. They will almost certainly finish top. Maybe second, but probably top. So we can have a look at some more players now. And Southgate's not had to do that before because he started his reign by picking his babies, basically. It was the youngest tournament squad England had ever picked. Now, Jordan Henson, Harry Maguire, you know, there are players you'd think, you know, Trippier, Walker, there are players you think, maybe let's try and have a look at some different combinations here and, and see what happens. And Southgate tried to do that in the Nations League. He picked a, a central defence of John Stones and Mark Gwehi and Aaron Ramsdale in goal, and we lost 4-0 at home to Hungary, and everyone said he should be sacked. So I, I kind of get why he he hasn't done it much since, but now he really can, and I think he probably will. And also for a for an international manager of a leading nation, the European Championship qualifiers are a totally thankless task because the fact that the top two teams in every group qualify means that you would need a kind of once-in-a-generation failure for your team not to qualify it means that an awful lot of your matches will be pretty stodgy one-sided affairs I mean Ukraine are a better team than they looked last night but England's dominance was such that they didn't even have a shot I don't they didn't have a shot on target and that's just what qualifiers are for and people will grumble about um, their player you know their favorite player not being picked and the football not being better and it's all exacerbated by the fact that for you know two weeks every few months the eyes of the entire football community are focused on one team and one manager rather than all the other clubs that we follow week to week and all the multiple controversies and, and all that sort of thing the only thing that matters in, in 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 qualification campaigns is winning the games getting through everything else is is just talk and <laughs> that's that's kind of it. I mean, if you're a big if you're a big country, you should be qualifying. You probably will qualify. Well done. And a lot of the, a lot of the debates that end up sort of attracting attention when it comes to team selection and and, and what have you are, are almost kind of almost kind of like false narratives because we've just like for, for you know for for the, the few days of the international break we've just got nothing else to talk about. So you always end up you know inventing yeah. controversies. James Madison got a start. His first, I think, someone will, I'm sure, tweet on the subject of social media. I've got this slightly wrong, but I think it's three years, 132 days since he got his debut for England. A first start last night. He played on the left of that front three. How did you feel that he did? Yeah, well, he created a few chances and I, I thought he slotted in pretty well, mm. actually. I'm sure he was, I think he said he was nervous, didn't he? And it sort of like felt yeah. like a... Second a, debut. A second debut, yeah. yeah. And And... The point about sort of lack of rotation is a valid one, really, because it feels like Ivan Tony's been around for a little while, and yet he was, it, it was it, that was his debut, and, yeah. and Madison's been around for a while, and he hasn't played. So yeah, I thought he was good, um, almost as impressed as um, with his performance on on Countdown, which um, which it's was good, very that good. Oh, I've not seen that. I love that. Watch well. it. It's on the channel for YouTube. It's brilliant. It's so funny. I love how they do that. It's been what about four years now where they've really made an effort to engage with. Yeah. With fans, particularly on you know stuff on YouTube and whatever, it's yeah, it's 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 great. But Kaya Saka's delivery of like dry one line put down. It's funny, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah. And um, Bakaya, could you have done any better than a four? Yeah, um, there's actually a vitamin they missed out on. Thiamine. Thiamine. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you say it, Bakaya? <laughs> Thiamine. So I is that something as a footballer you have to take care of yourself so obviously you know about vitamins? Yeah, it's important. It's important. That's why I expected them to know. Yeah. I think it's really important as well. It's something we talk about a lot with this England team. In their brilliant players, I've, I've been fortunate enough to go to the last two major tournaments with them and cover them regularly. And seeing them as humans, I think what you see in those features is that they're actually really engaged with each other and really engaged in things beyond just football. So I think those kind of features, as you've said, are really important. Yeah. I genuinely think that's why Southgate comes in for more stick because England teams of the past, we kind of had a, an excuse of uh, big club cliques or the players don't really care enough. And it's so obvious now that the players absolutely do care and really want to go and win a tournament. That I think that's probably why Southgate, like, it's all focused on Southgate because there's no more excuses anymore. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. I thought it was interesting. Jack Grealish posted this morning and he posted photos. can't remember his exact caption. I sound obsessed with social media, don't I? Um, <laughs> he posted something like a really good week away with the boys or something like that. And one of his photos was him, James Madison and Ben Chilwell on the plane. And technically, James Madison took his place in the team last night. But you just know that they're all really happy 
for each other. There really does feel like there's just this incredible mentality. I know it's said a lot, but there's just more and more evidence of this stacking up. And I don't mean to make this an England loving for you, Tom. No, but, but I mean, I, th- I think it, I mean, thanks, Kelly. I appreciate <laughs> your, your your sympathies. But it ties in with what Tim was saying before about, about um, how eloquent Jude Bellingham is. And uh, I think you look at players of this generation and there's... There's such a kind of awareness, both of their individual development and what that needs to look at and what their own goals are. And also just the the nature of squad management in in modern football. And I feel like there's a bit of a a disconnect in a way between the way that, that journalists have traditionally written about football and the way that young players think about football these days because you know you're always reading about competition for places and you know this guy's trying to trying to nick your place and he's going to get more minutes than you and and I think young footballers understand that that's just part of that's just part of football you know your chances are you're not going to start every game when you're 19 20 21 and that is absolutely fine and and so you know that they do get on and it shouldn't be a surprise that they do but I think the kind of the sort of the cultural legacy in this country in particular is to think that oh well they both play in the same position they must secretly hate each other <laughs> and also when you know when young players talk about their development I remember asking Marcus Rashford once at an England press conference about the fact he was having to play on the left when he seemed to prefer to play in the middle and he gave me this extremely well-rounded answer about the strings to his bow that playing in these different roles was was giving him and and yeah I think particularly the young players in the in this England squad they are extremely modern footballers in the sense that they they have a very clear understanding of the development path that they're on individually what their team are trying to achieve collectively and it just puts a lot of kind of slightly old-fashioned controversies about you know people being in competition with each other to bed a little bit just before we move on a word on Ukraine Tim because obviously what is going on in that country at the moment is horrific and I said it before it was Incredibly emotional, but also quite powerful being at Wembley yesterday, seeing those, the players come out draped in Ukrainian flags, the thousands of Ukrainian flags that were in the away end. And sometimes maybe England fans don't get the best, what's the word here, the best recognition or the best reputation in terms of how they treat opposition fans. But I felt yesterday everyone was very respectful and it felt like it was more than just about football. Yeah, you're right. Wembley's not you know certainly in, in recent history as well, hasn't been the most respectful of places to the, the opposition but you, you could you could feel that even just on tv you could, you could sense it um i was at the wales ukraine qualifier last summer and again extremely emotional you know the fact that these guys are just able to play and watch football is um yeah it's it's not something that we have to think about so um i, th- I think it's, it's good to bring that to everybody's attention and yeah it was a very very respectful atmosphere what was it like being in the stadium Do you know what? It was incredibly emotional and felt powerful. But do you know what it also felt like? A bit of a celebration of unity. It it felt sad because what is going on there is horrendous. And as you said, we can't even imagine what it's like. But it just felt powerful. It's not often that you see two countries unite like that. And England applauded their national anthem. And I have headphones on as I'm standing there because I listened to the commentary and I actually took them off during it because I really wanted to soak it up and I wanted to feel it as much as I could. And you do. And I just thought I was obviously part of the television coverage yesterday and we felt like we had a duty to bring Ukraine back to the forefront of people's minds because we know how the media works. A year ago, this was all we were seeing across the news, but such is the way the news works. It's not as at the forefront now, but it is still very real. These people are still going through it. And from speaking to Andrei Shevchenko, it was really clear. Also, I'm not losing the plot, by the way. I mentioned Bear Grylls before. If you didn't see the coverage, the reason I mentioned that Bear Grylls was there is because he's done a documentary where he went into Ukraine and met President Zelensky. It's going to be on Channel 4 on Tuesday night. I watched the documentary. It's real, it's hard-hitting, it's powerful. And that, for me, gave me a real awareness of just how important yesterday was. So, yeah, it was an emotional evening. But as Gareth Southgate said to me, the players managed the emotion. They were very professional and they got the job done because... Ultimately, that's what those footballers had to do yesterday. But kudos to anyone that was inside Wembley Stadium and played a part in what was a pretty special atmosphere. All going well for Gareth Southgate's side in Group C then, but it was Group H where it was all kicking off on Sunday. Denmark were 2-0 up in Astana with 17 minutes to go, losing 3-2 to Kazakhstan. This was despite the best efforts of Atalanta's Rasmus Hoyland, who scored twice for the Danes, after starting the campaign with a hat-trick against Finland on Thursday. Now, Denmark, Daniel, where do we start with them? Because dark horses, 
leading into the World Cup. Of course, they finished bottom. And now this. This is bonkers. Yeah, I was chatting to a few fans yesterday and, yeah, they were basically like, this has been coming for a while. We've basically been been tailing off after that kind of Euro... Well, I say Euro 2020 high. Obviously, it, it, it wasn't quite that. It was this kind of very weird emotive atmosphere around the team with, with Christian Eriksen's collapse and ever since then they've just not really pushed on at all um, Holland is a, a a bright star and yeah it sounds like he might take on the goal scoring mantle which they desperately need they didn't even have that at the Euros and certainly didn't have it at the World Cup but yeah this is all about Kazakhstan who were I mean it's it's an, a fantastic story this is what the Nations League is all about because Kazakhstan flourished in the Nations League in a group. I think they beat Slovakia home and away last time. And they'd only beaten San Marino in qualifiers. But as Tom referred to earlier, that's because in the Nations League, you play teams that are mostly loads better than you or considerably worse than you. And they beat the teams they were better than and lost to everyone else. And the squad is still basically made up of players from the Kazakhstan Premier League. And yeah, they scored three times in the last 17 minutes for easily their biggest ever win. I know they beat Scotland 3-0 at home uh, a few years ago, which is this kind of shock result. And it was a shock result, but Denmark are, are considerably better than Scotland and, and they were 2-0 down. Um, the, the, I watched the injury time and it was in, I think they got three yellow cards and a second yellow and a red card for like time-wasting or slowing down the game. Or Gloria. It was just a magnificent <laughs> 11 minutes of stoppage time. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the stadium erupted. It was great. And the equaliser was an absolute worldie. Yes. And, and, uh, who, who's, who's it by, who was it by, Tom? Ashgat Taggy Bergen. Oh, right. and oh. Does... oh, he's been practicing that all morning, hasn't he? <laughs> I tell you Everyone what, everyone knows Ashgat Taggy Bergen. He's renowned for it. And he's also, he's saying it really quickly bang, as well. Banging them in like that, <laughs> left, right, and centre. <laughs> um, also, they didn't deserve it though. I'll not be funny, but did you see the penalty? Yeah, yeah I. I <laughs> so watched, it's never a penalty. I watched the UEFA highlights, which are very brief, and showed an even briefer slow motion replay of that than most penalties. It Absolutely didn't look insane. Like a, 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 a corner's whips in. A guy's is ducking. Uh, Jonas Vind of Denmark's ducking as he goes to head it. He's looking at the floor, and the ball hits him on his shoulder. Oh, Nobody nice. appeals. Nobody. They're just playing on, and then VAR gives this penalty it's ridiculous and um, I, I was um please no var debate this morning I'm not down for that. <laughs> but yeah it's it's it, the the scenes were incredible i was uh chatting to a woman from kazakhstan on a dating app uh, a couple months ago and this and podcast she was, is about to veer off well, very she was she, she she was annoyed that um everyone only knows her country for for borat so <laughs> so maybe this will you know really start to put kazakhstan on, are you on, gonna on slide back again. into her dms and just see <laughs> well, how she's I, feeling on this one i day. annoyed her by by mentioning borat you see so it, did, it didn't get very far kelly didn't get very far um oh. to bring it Sadly, back to football. Please do. <laughs> I should say they, they got promoted in, in that Nations League. So they're in the same Nations League as England now in B, uh, which is, I mean, astonishing. Oh, come on, Daniel. We who... don't want to remember England and Nations League. Come on. True, true. But <laughs> Kazakhstan do because it's, it's, it's changed their football heritage. They, they are now, with a team that's almost entirely based of Kazakhstan League players, they are on the same or seen in the same peer group as England in the Nations League, which is amazing. It really is. I like. I know people are down on international football because the kind of machine of club football transfixes them and tribalism kind of obsesses them. But oh, the international work is brilliant for stories like this. It's absolutely brilliant. I'm looking forward to my trip uh, to Kazakhstan with England. I'll be coming to Tim for tips just before I go as well. <laughs> don't do that. God, don't, no, don't do that. Well, on paper, a great result for Northern Ireland, who then sadly lost 1-0 to Finland in Michael O'Neill's first home game back in charge. Elsewhere on Sunday night, it's timely again, we've got Tim in the studio, because uh, you're our nom- nominal Portuguese correspondent. Portugal ran out 6-0 winners in Luxembourg. That's two wins out of two for new boss Roberto Martinez. If you're listening to the podcast on Thursday, we all reminded everyone that he was actually the new boss. 49 shots, 10 goals scored, none conceded. Couldn't have gone much better, could it? Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Good start for Martinez. The, I'm the, joking. Did you actually watch this game in depth? I've just decided that you must have because you're a Wolves fan. I, I, I didn't. I didn't watch it, but no, I've, I've, I've actually got Portugal notifications on my on my phone. Of so yeah, you so do. that they all they all pop up. I, I know this feeling. So my other half is works at Wolves as well, and I feel like I now am, have a vested interest in, yeah. in Portugal as well. So it was just it, yeah, the Athletic just assumed a couple of years ago that that I would just I would just follow Portugal. And you kind of have to. Right. Yeah, no. Definitely, yeah. You basically support um, Portugal at a club level. <laughs> it's just it's just a bit boring with Portugal that it's still the Ronaldo show, and you know I'm really interested to see what 
Martinez can do with the team, and obviously we haven't learned anything. That's from, his biggest from these challenge, games. isn't it? I'm just really surprised that he hasn't used what felt like an ideal opportunity to move on with a guy who's playing in the Saudi Arabia League. You know, I don't care how 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 sort of well, no, it is important how good he is. But we saw at the World Cup that you're going to upset everyone in Saudi Arabia now as well. <laughs> but you know, if you look at where their league is ranked in the world, it's below like the Cypriot League and the Serbian yeah. League, so it's not a good standard of football. Um, I know that they're trying to improve that, and Ronaldo said recently it might it'll be in the top 10 in the Did he not world have to in a say few that? years yeah exactly yeah um i don't know I just, I just think martinez might regret it if he if he sticks with ronaldo and takes him all the way to the euros we, we saw what a sideshow it was at the world cup and we saw how he's not good enough for that team anymore to be blunt and we also saw gonzalo ramos score a hat-trick against switzerland and he's still scoring very regularly for benfica and looks like such a talent he's 21 and yet he's he's on the bench for a game where he could uh, have scored a hatful of international goals himself over these games, but Ronaldo's keeping him out of the team. So, yeah, I just I just I don't I don't quite get it to be honest. I felt like this was a perfect opportunity for Martinez. Say, look, clean start, fresh slate. You're playing in Saudi Arabia, so let's move on. Uh, Tim, you also saw Martinez's old team, Belgium, sweep aside Sweden 3-0 in Domenico Tedesco's first game in charge on Friday. Romelu Lukaku stealing the show. Yeah, he's, it was billed in Italy as the Zlatan v Lukaku show. Obviously, strikers from AC Milan and Inter, and they've had they've had beef before. Um, but it was, it was very one-sided. Zlatan said after the game, he was sort of put, you know, it was put to him, Lukaku, what an amazing world-class striker. He scored so many goals. He was like, yeah, they were pretty easy finishes though, um, <laughs> which which um, which they were. A lad uh, for Belgium, who honestly, I'd never heard of before, called Dodi Lukabakio. That's my. <laughs> Of course, Kelly, you'll know him well. Oh, yeah. One of those that we probably got in, spent three years there on 17 loans. Um, he plays in the Bundesliga now. Uh, again, I'm embarrassed to say I can't remember what club he plays for. Um, however, he's really good. He's like a Hertha six foot Berlin. two inch uh, winger, plays oh, for Hertha Berlin, uh, obviously. And um, yeah, he set up two of the goals for Lukaku. And he was, he was superb, actually. He was brilliant on the right wing. Sort of a gangly, skillful winger. But yeah, I was, I was dispatched there to, um, to follow the Zlatan show because he's back in the Sweden team. Age 41 after a year away. Um, it was really nice, actually. It was his first game in front of fans in Sweden, for Sweden, since like 2016, because that's when he retired from international football and he came back during the pandemic. So he got a massive hero's ovation. Uh, sadly, they were 2 down at the time. But it is interesting with Sweden. They've actually got a really exciting young strike force of players that are familiar to a lot of us in, in Isak, Kulisevsky, uh, Jokeresh from, from Coventry, Antonia Langer, and then Jesper Carlsen, who's scoring a lot of goals out in, in Holland for AZ. All those players are aged 20 to 24. And then you've got this 41-year-old coming back. <laughs> but it was it, it's, it's different to the Ronaldo one in that I think he can, they actually think he can be a bit of a mentor and he wants to be there and he's happy playing a supporting role. But it was a bit tragic. To, supporting to, roles, Latin. Yeah, honestly, like the, the coach has made it clear that he'll be a, he'll be a sub wow. you know, because he's barely Very played well. for Milan this season. But it was quite sad to see Zlatan sent on after 73 minutes to basically win headers. They, <laughs> they play 4-4-2 and they were pumping it at his head. And I was like, I'm all watching Matt Smith for Millwall here. It was, it was very, very kind of similar. Just a bit undignified for his player, his brilliance. Briefly on Lukaku, his international. I know he had an absolute mare in that last game of the World Cup, but his international goal scoring record is ridiculous. He's got seventy one goals in one hundred and five caps, which is like it's basically it's, it's a better rate than Harry Kane for England, and he's only scored five penalties. I think Kane's got eighteen. Like his his record is phenomenal international. I think he's the third highest active goal scorer in. Uh, either in world football or maybe I think that's European football behind Lewandowski and Ronaldo. Like he's only twenty nine. Like if he carries on going at club level enough that he can stay in the Belgian side, and he probably will. Like he's going to get potentially like ninety, hundred international goals, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? Well, he's got more opportunity to score more goals on Tuesday. Belgium face the Euro 2024 host Germany in a friendly. Coming up next, though, for us, we're going to take a look at what Scotland, Wales and the Republic of Ireland have in store this week. Totally people, we are now just a few sleeps away from our first live show of the year. It's been sold out for months, but if you really, really want to join Jimbo, Rafa Honigstein, James Horncastle and Duncan Alexander at the Leicester Square Theatre on Tuesday the 4th of April, we've just put our production tickets on sale. That means I'll have to stand at the back and Mrs Horncastle and Mrs Honigstein won't be attending, but we can now squeeze a few more of you in. Head to leicestersquaretheatre.com to get your hands and indeed your bottoms on those last remaining seats.
We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to that own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Well, Daniel, that's unfortunately where you're going to have to leave us. I won't name who, but one of our guests today, not myself, Daniel and Tom, um, we're a little bit late for the recording because of a juice-related incident at home and you've unfortunately got to get off at a certain time. So we're going to have to yeah. leave you here and say apologies and goodbye. That's all right. I mean, his name rhymes with Jim Shears, if it, if it helps, <laughs> yeah. as a clue. Mm. Uh, I yes, wonder have a lovely week. Could be. And you, Daniel. Tim, would you like to defend yourself? I just I, I spilled <laughs> some juice on the floor. Yeah, it was, it was pretty dramatic. But yes, sorry, everybody. Sorry, Daniel. It's okay. It's only Daniel you need to be sorry in the listener because now they've lost Daniel's pearls of wisdom for the rest of this podcast. Okay, let's continue our focus on the international break. Republic of Ireland versus France takes place on Monday night, 7.45 kickoff. But there's the handball by Henri. By the way, not just once, George, but twice. It's actually hit him on the arm and then he's controlled it with his hand. Just watch it from this angle. Yes. And then he's knocked it back to Gallus and it's easy, but... That's a handball, no question about it. Absolutely no question about it, and France have stolen the lead on aggregate. Sorry, Ireland fans. Play producer Charlie. That's what most people think of when they hear the words Republic of Ireland versus France. Of course, that Thierry Henry handball that sent France to the 2010 World Cup at the expense of the Irish. We're being quite mean playing that, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not something that Ireland fans look back on with any fondness. But from a neutral perspective, had it not been for that, Absolutely disgraceful uh, display of cheating by Thierry Henry. The world would have been deprived the glorious spectacle of the France squad going into full-on meltdown at the 2010 World Cup. So, you know, it might not be much con- consolation for the Irish, but, it, you know, France did get their comeuppance for that in a way. Yeah, and they in, crashed and out, didn't they? some style. Yeah, they crashed out in the group stage in South Africa. So it was almost for nothing. Also, this is the kind of stat and knowledge that you only get on this podcast. Did you know, Tim, that led to a boycott in Ireland of Henry Hoover's? <laughs> Genuinely. That's brilliant. It's good, isn't it? Did they give up uh, baguettes and arrogance as well? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wonder if that's going to make the edit. It definitely um, is. Um, going back to France, they won 4-0 against the Netherlands on Friday night. Of course, we spoke on Thursday's podcast about the fact that France have a new captain, Kylian Mbappe, doing Mbappe things, scoring twice. And then Antoine Griezmann, controversially, the new vice-captain, also scored after just two minutes. What did you make of France in that one, Tom? Yeah, well, it was a dream start for France in the sense that all the focus pre-game had been on the fact that Didier Deschamps had given Kylian Mbappe the armband uh, and not Antoine Griezmann, who was apparently uh, slightly miffed at having been overlooked. And then with less than two minutes on the clock, Mbappe picks up the ball on the left-hand side. Classic Mbappe shooting position. You can just see him about to wind back his foot. And then he realises that Antoine Griezmann is unmarked on the edge of the box, lays it off to him. Griezmann curls it in. They run off celebrating and within less than two minutes of the game kicking off, the captaincy issue has been put to bed. Uh, And France were really impressive. It was the 
basically the same team um, that reached the final at the World Cup with with a few a few tweaks. Randall Kolomwani, the Eintracht Frankfurt striker, uh, started up front, played very well. A couple of goals for Mbappe, one for Ibrahima Kanate. Mike Maignan, who was making his first appearance as France's new number one in the post Hugo Lloris era, had a very quiet evening and even got the chance to save a penalty at the end uh, when uh, Netherlands got a, a slightly soft spot kick for a handball against Ayoub and Meccano. Uh, and Maignan, who is a renowned penalty saving expert, turned away uh, Memphis Depay's slightly tame penalty. And yeah. Pretty decent start to the qualifiers for France. Um, and I think in particular, putting the the, the Griezmann and Mbappe captaincy issue to bed early on will have been uh, will have been welcomed by by Deschamps. And they yeah, they looked they looked pretty decent. One of the main reasons I'm excited for this game against the Republic of Ireland is Evan Ferguson mm. scored on his debut against Latvia last week. I've seen him play a few times for Brighton recently. He looks some prospect, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, and he looks like he's he's really got his head screwed on as well. And He's already the best player on the island team. Uh, not being funny, but yeah, they've got... They've Just got... him offending the whole of Ireland. Well, uh, you know, um, they've not got the best generation of players at the moment. And yeah, you do fear for them in this game, uh, to be honest. You know, Ireland have produced some astonishing sort of shock results in the past. Beating Italy in USA 94. They beat Holland in the... World Cup qualifiers and they beat Germany but you, you just you don't see that here just because there is a lack of talent in that team I was reading a preview in the Irish Times yesterday and it said that Ireland's midfield trio will, will probably be uh, Jason Knight Jason Malombu and Josh Cullen which pits players from Real Madrid Juventus and Atletico Madrid against West Bromwich Albion Derby County and Burnley which sort of just puts it into context really um, however an, another interesting thing to note uh, in that piece was that Stephen Kelly, the Ireland manager, is 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 extremely optimistic as you as you'd sort of expect him to be publicly. But he said um, Ireland are so good on the ball that they're as comfortable as any team in Europe in possession. It's quite bold, isn't it? Quite a statement. I mean, if that if that's true, they'll they'll give France a hell of a game tonight. Yeah. Um, I'll have to bow to his sort of superior knowledge on that and 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 say that yeah, they've got a, a really good chance of beating France. Why did you get quieter? more that sentence went on <laughs> okay well moving on to Scotland they got off to a winning start against Cyprus on Saturday John McGinn and then a late Scott McTominay brace sealing a 3-0 win next up for them is Spain on Tuesday at 7.45 it's actually the first time since 2006 that Scotland have won their first match in a Euros campaign plus Tim they got the good news last week that Steve Clark, who of course has taken them to a Euros has signed a new contract to 2026 last week where would you say Scotland are currently um, I mean, I guess I guess you'd be worried if they didn't win their first game. I mean, it was the easiest one in, in, that they'll get in the group. Upsetting um, Scotland now as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, they've they've clearly got a, a decent foundation and a, and a decent base. I think to qualify, to be honest, you know, l- l- looking at the group with Norway, Georgia, obviously Spain and Cyprus, I, I think you'd almost expect Scotland to finish seventh, the second, not seventh, <laughs> just going to annoy them more. Um, <laughs> if any, if any home nation is capable group. of finishing seventh in the five-team group, it's Scotland. That's a very good point. But no, I think given, given, given the advances they've made under Steve Clark, given the, the consistency he's now given them, and given the... The talent they have in certain areas of the field, you know, particularly in midfield and in defence, you know, I, I, I do worry with them where the goals are going to come from. However, it's looked like it probably a straight fight between them and Norway to qualify, um, which they would certainly mm. um, have taken at the start of the campaign. So, yeah, a good start. They'll need a lot more against Spain if they're going to get a result. I don't really see that happening personally. But, yeah, they've got off to the ideal start. Yeah, bad news for them. You talked there about lack of goals. Che Adams was also forced off against Cyprus with a calf injury. And Clark does say he has a less than 50% chance of featuring against Spain. Um, focusing in then on Spain, Luis de la Fuente's reign as Spain manager began with a 3-0 victory over Norway, who, of course, were without Erling Haaland on Saturday. A routine win for them, Tom? Yeah, it seemed pretty straightforward. And a good night for Josselu, the former yeah. Stoke City and Newcastle man. Two goals off the bench. Uh, and today is also his 33rd birthday. So he's literally having the best... 24 hours of, of his entire life um, and also proof that there is life after Stoke. You just have to wait a little <laughs> wait, wait a little while for the stars to align. Yeah, happy 33rd birthday to him. What a way to celebrate. Moving on then to Wales. As you said, Tom, a last gasp undeserved point against Croatia on Saturday. 
a thoroughly, thoroughly undeserved draw, Kelly, but all the sweeter because of that. I mean, this was always going to be Wales's most difficult game of the qualifiers and Croatia have got this absurd home record in European Championship qualifiers. It only previously dropped two points uh, in home games in Euro qualifiers. Predictably, bossed the game right from the start. Andre Kramaric puts them ahead with a, a toe poke about midway through the, the first half. And they carried on coming, wave after wave, and, it, and Wales was sort of really clinging on. And then second half, Croatia took their foot off the pad a little bit. Wales made this slightly curious triple change just after the hour when Aaron Ramsey, Harry Wilson and Danny James were all taken off by Rob Page. And you thought, oh, well, they've obviously just given up on this game then um, and, and brought on Nathan Broadhead, uh, Sorba Thomas and Wes Burns, who were all either championship or, or, or League One players. And yet it was Nathan Broadhead making his debut who ends up sneaking in at the back post in the third minute of stoppage time to bundle in uh, the equaliser. And, I mean, Wales were never going to win that game. So to, to get a draw in those circumstances was the absolute perfect start. OK, well, next up for Wales, it's Latvia on Tuesday night, whilst Croatia travelled to Turkey on the same evening. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Many thanks to Daniel Storey, who has, of course, departed due to Tim. Tim Spears, got to go home and clean up the rest of that juice? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty urgent, yeah. OK, off you go to do that. Tom Williams... Thank you for being with no us. No juice issues here. Although, have I just cursed myself by saying that? Watch this space. There's a few cups and bottles of liquid in this studio. <laughs> Beware as we walk out because Tim Spears is around. Thanks also to producer Charlie and to you, listener. We'll be back on Thursday. Yes, James is still on holiday, so it'll be me again. We'll be looking ahead to the return of the Premier League, including a big one, Manchester City versus Liverpool. Have a great week. We'll speak to you then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. 